Welcome into the Fog.net podcast. Michael Swain here after Kansas fell to Oklahoma State 31-13 on the road. And that was a discouraging game to say the least. Not so much in the result, because I think most fans going into it, I think you would have assumed that Kansas was not going to come up with an upset in Stillwater, but more of just the manner in the way that KU fell in this game. Um, to give you an outline of what we'll talk about today, um, a lot of it will focus on kind of the quarterback decision for Kansas going away from Carter Stanley, what that kind of means, big picture, the offense as a whole, and the defense that I thought today you know, didn't play too bad. I expected it to be one of those games where you know Kansas is just getting gashed for big play after big play, and that wasn't the case. Um, but we'll get to that in a minute. But starting off with just the most important thing, I think the biggest talking point after this game is the decision from the KU staff to go away from Carter Stanley to start the second half. At that point, you know, KU's down uh, three plus scores. They had not gotten much offensively uh, in the first half and Carter Stanley definitely had not had his best first half in the, you know, this season, but KU decided to go away from Carter Stanley and they decided to put in Manny miles. Now, there's a lot of between the lines reading you can do, um, you know, for what that means in general. I think the biggest thing that I take away from it is you look at Carter Stanley and this year in particular and his entire, you know, KU career. He's talked a lot about how important it was for him that this staff has stayed with him through those tough times. You know, I, I specifically think of that game against TCU where KU was terrible on offense and they could not get anything going yet. They stuck with him and he took every snap of that game, despite the fact that they were down 42 to whatever late on in the game. It's one of those things where if you're going to show faith in a kid like you have for Carter Stanley this year, why all of a sudden now are you going to switch to go to Manny miles who? For, you know, as good as it sounds like people like him and his potential to be a coach uh, further down the road and to be a guy that stays in football for a long time. But in terms of his on-field playing ability, it's just not up to the level of a Carter Stanley uh, in terms of just ability. I mean, he could not get on the field on a 2-9 and nine North Carolina team last year. What makes you think that he should be on the field for a three-win Kansas team this year? You know, you saw what happened. You know, he went, I think it was four of eight uh, in the terms of his passing. Uh, he had the one interception. Yeah, it was four of eight for 25 yards with the interception, and he brought you nothing on offense. KU, if anything, looked to me a little bit more conservative with Manny Miles in the game. And so from my perspective, why are you going to damage someone's confidence like Carter Stanley? Yes, he's having a bad game, and that's going to damage his confidence in and of itself. But why are you going to damage his confidence even further by pulling him from a game that you already are, are, have a pretty slim margin of winning for someone that arguably does not have the same talent level that Carter Stanley does? I mean, you look at some of the throws Stanley has made this year. Yes, he's had a lot of questionable decision-making in split seconds, and he's had some bad throws, but he has shown – so often, just the arm talent that he does have, that he has flashes of it. I mean, you think of the touchdowns he's thrown to Dalen Charlotte this year, um, the one against Indiana State, the one against Oklahoma. Carter Stanley can throw the ball. It's just a question of on a day, you know, game-to-game basis, is he going to have it? And it was pretty clear that this was one of those games that was not going to be Carter Stanley's. I vividly remember 
you know, one of these little hitch routes that they run for Kwame Lassiter, uh, where he basically takes two yards and then turns around to the quarterback. Uh, and I put this in the VIP game thread that basically there's not a receiver within a couple yards of Lassiter and Stanley overthrew him. So I think from the get-go, it was kind of clear that it was going to be one of those games for Carter Stanley where he's not necessarily at his peak yet. I don't necessarily understand the reasoning of why you're going to go away from him you know, when he has shown those flashes and you don't know when all of a sudden he's going to be able to turn it on. You know, I think you saw that against Texas Tech, for example, where early on in the game, you know, he was kind of struggling, kind of feeling things out. But then once you kind of got into late in the first half, he started, you know, clicking and getting it. And you don't know when that moment is going to happen for Carter Stanley. So I just don't understand why you take out the high ceiling, kind of low floor guy for the mid floor, mid ceiling type of guy in Manny Miles. Um, that decision-making for me was a little bit questionable. You know, KU had three, three and outs um, with Miles in the game, you know, and then Stanley comes in and immediately leads KU on a 13-play, 80-yard drive down the field. Now, if you'd like to take the opinion that by taking him out, you motivated Carter Stanley and, you know, he came out and answered, well, maybe do that earlier in the game then. If if that's your thought process as a coach is, oh, we're going to try and motivate him by taking him out. Why wait until the third quarter when you're already down? I believe it would have been four scores at that point. You know, the timing of it all is just so weird. And I understand that last week against Kansas State, you know, you put Manny Miles in, he leads you down the field, scores a touchdown. But let's also remember that at that point in the game, K-State was up by a lot, played real soft coverage, and he was able just to make some real simple throws. Guys made plays, and they were able to march down the field. And even at the goal line, you know, it took them a minute to execute and get into the end zone. So I don't necessarily understand the reasoning behind switching it up. Um, You know, yeah, it was not a great game for Stanley. He completed 22 of his 37 passes for 226 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, And and for the offense, really now, you know, for as much praise as Brent Dearman has gotten, and deservedly so, especially for the performance that you know KU has had against Texas Tech offensively, against Texas offensively. But now this is back-to-back weeks where KU's kind of struggled on the offensive end. Now it would be very interesting for me to go back and watch and see maybe if there's any recurring themes between the Kansas State game and this game of what teams are doing to slow down Kansas. But at this point, you know, this offense has kind of, kind of lurched to a halt all of a sudden after a real positive first two weeks you know, of the Brent Dearman era on offense. And I think the biggest thing that stood out to me was Oklahoma State's game plan today. They basically said, Pooka Williams, you're not going to beat us. Very similar to what Texas Tech did. Um, a little bit different schematically on the secondary end, but Texas Tech basically said, Pooka Williams, you're not beating us. And KU's wide receivers came out and beat Texas Tech secondary. And that's how KU won the game. It was Stephon Robinson making big plays, you know, getting past corners and safeties and getting into that, you know, kind of that third level past the secondary. But today, what Oklahoma State basically said is, hey, we're going to stack the box, slow down Puka Williams, and play press coverage on the wide receivers. Now, I remember a throw also in the first half where I think it was maybe a third down, and Kwame Lasseter was able to beat the press coverage um, just the slightest bit. Uh, He was on the left side and had a breaking route to the right, to the inside. Uh, And Stanley couldn't find him, but that was very evident that that was going to be their game plan, that they were going to say, our corners are better than your wide receivers. Our corners can stop your wide receivers long enough for those guys to get home. And they were able to. I mean, you think about Carter Stanley's interception in the game. It came when he was under pressure. He tried to make a throw to Kwame Lasseter so he wouldn't get sacked. He ended up throwing it across his body, 
behind Lassiter. Lassiter threw out his one of his hands, wasn't able to catch it, tipped it, went right to the Oklahoma State wide receiver. So Carter Stanley was not able to be comfortable, and Oklahoma State basically gambled and said, you're not going to be able to get past our guys in the secondary. And we're going to, by the time your guys get past them, we're already going to be putting pressure on the quarterback so they can't make a decision. So I think for KU offensively, uh, not a good performance at all. Um, a, a discouraging performance, especially against an Oklahoma State defense that ranks in the bottom half in the Big 12 in every category in terms of you know pass yards given up, rush yards given up, scoring. They rank around seven uh, in all those categories. Now, the one category where they do rank pretty high is passing efficiency. So they force the quarterbacks to not be as efficient as they usually are. And for KU to beat Oklahoma State today, it was going to be one of those games where Carter Stanley was going to be very efficient and make every throw count. And that just wasn't the case. Now, in terms of the defensive performance, uh, I was actually kind of impressed with the way the defense played, especially kind of after those first couple of drives from Oklahoma State. You know, KU was able to stop Oklahoma State and force them to punt. Now, I think if you think back to last week, or I guess it would have been two weeks ago technically, against Kansas State, there was kind of this feeling of, damn, you know, the KU defense just can't really stop them. Well, the case today was that KU was able to stop them. Just the offense wasn't able to stay on the field long enough to make it count. So basically what's happening is the defense is coming up with some good stops. But all of a sudden, the offense isn't able to come back and hold on to the ball. Now, KU did finish pretty close in terms of time of possession. It was 31 minutes and 32 seconds for Oklahoma State, 28 minutes and 28 seconds for Kansas. But... I think in terms of just watching the game and the way that the defense played, they got enough stops for KU to be in the game. They forced, you know, how many punts? Let's see. So one, two, three, four, five punts from the Oklahoma State offense, including a couple of missed kicks as well. So I think the defense did its job today. It, you know, yes, they gave up 31 points. And yes, you know, statistically, Chuba Hubbard had a halfway decent game, you know, 23 carries for 122 yards. Uh, so a 5.3 average yards per carry. But for as good as he has been this year, this was kind of a down game for him. So I, you look at the defense, and even then, early on in the first half, Key wasn't necessarily stacking the box. I had a tweet, uh, if you go back and look at it, of basically KU's attempt to stop Oklahoma State's rushing attack versus what Oklahoma State did to KU's rushing attack, where Oklahoma State loaded the box with six, seven guys, and KU basically had you know six guys in it most of the time. Um, they a, a couple times went to the seven, eight man box, but it was mostly just that six man box that you'd see. So you know KU was able to do a good enough job stopping Oklahoma State's rushing attack without committing those extra bodies. It was just that those deep routes, for example, you know, you had two 30 plus yard touchdown receptions uh, that came from softening up the defense with those rush with those rushes. And you have the eyes from the defense starting to look in the backfield more and not on the keys. And all of a sudden they're able to boom, get those big plays, you know, so if he was able to get rid of some of those bigger plays and maybe stay a little bit more disciplined in terms of coverages, this could have been even a little bit of a closer games in terms of a defensive perspective. And maybe it isn't, you know, 31 points, maybe it ends up being 27, maybe you stop one touchdown, but you know, you also have to take into account that there were still the missed field goals. Um, but in terms of, you know, top performers for the game, I felt like Mike Lee in the first half was pretty good. Uh, the second half, he had that late hit out of bounds, not a smart play. Um, and he had a couple other 
you know, a little where he was just a split second off of where he needed to be. Um, you know, Davon Ferguson, someone that kind of was jawing with the Oklahoma State secondary or the Oklahoma State offense, sorry, from the secondary uh, for most of the game after he had a, a little bit of a push out of bounds. I don't know if it was a late hit, but he pushed a guy. And because the sideline is so close to the stands, the guy kind of ran into the stands. It was a little bit of an ugly scene there for a second. Um, but I thought Davon Ferguson was all right. Uh, but in terms of just in general, the defensive performance coming off of a bye week, I thought DJ Elliott and the defensive staff did their job. You know, KU should be able to score more than 13 points against an Oklahoma State defense that is in the bottom half of the Big 12 in every statistical category. So in terms of where does the offense go from here, you know, you got two pretty tough opponents coming up now in terms of defenses. That Iowa State defense in that 3-3-5 scheme with Matt Campbell, you know, that's going to be a real tough test for KU, especially on the road. Granted, KU's offense has been a little bit better on the road this season than they have at home, but that's going to be a really tough test in Ames next Saturday. And then to wrap up the season, you got a contest with Baylor at home. Now they'll play Oklahoma State on Saturday night. Um, no, no one knows yet you know, how that's going to turn out, but that Baylor defense is solid. And so, you know, you're going to have some tough tests at the end of the season here for this offense for a real barometer of kind of going forward. What maybe do you think of what this offense has, you know, going forward in terms of guys that are returning? Because you are going to lose basically the entire offensive line after this year, but you should get an Andrew Parchment back. You should get Stephon Robinson back and you should get Cooper Williams back next year. Um, So, you know, these last two games will be a really good barometer for what KU has kind of going into year two of the last miles era. Uh, but in terms of just a big picture perspective of the game, um, in terms of the management of it, you know, I would say that this was a worse game and worse result for KU than the TCU loss. And my opinion on that is this for that TCU loss, you had the outside circumstance of Khalil Herbert leaving the team just before the game. Uh, I think emotionally that had a toll. You know, you talk to the players after that game, it sounded like that had a toll on the guys. But in terms of this performance off of a bye week, I don't think there's any excuses that can be made for, you know, what KU did on the offensive end. And, you know, again, the KU defense did their part. It was on the offense, I think, today uh, for, you know, not being able to keep KU in this for a little bit of a closer game. But, you know, for a big picture perspective, now you got to look at these last two games and say you cannot get blown out twice in a row. You cannot finish the last four games of the season, four out of your five weeks of the season, with four blowout losses. In terms of recruiting before National Signing Day, that's not good. Um, and just in terms of fan perspective, you know, you want to end the season on a high note. Yes, you had the, the highs of beating a Boston College and beating a Texas Tech, you know, two really big wins. But to end the season, that's what people are, are going to remember. And it's what's going to stick in their head out in the offseason. So if KU in this last you know couple games of the season, if they can come up with even just a couple solid performances, maybe you lose to Iowa State, you know, 32-21 or 32-25. I don't know. If you lose them by one or two scores to Baylor and Iowa State, I think you'd be okay with that. But if you get into the blowout territory of three plus scores, I think that's real damaging in terms of KU's reputation going into national signing day and in terms of you know fan interest for next season as well. So that's going to do it for the podcast today. As always, stay tuned to Fog.net for all sorts of KU basketball and KU football content. Got some good stories up from the Monmouth game last night. Um, We'll have some more stories up from the football game today. 
Maui Invitational is coming up. KU plays on Tuesday before having a couple days off before they travel to Maui for the Invitational. Uh, we'll have all sorts of really good content from that as well. And of course, National Signing Day is coming up. So it's, you know, getting into the Christmas day of the football recruiting calendar. So we'll have all sorts of updates for you uh, in terms of recruiting and where KU stands with a bunch of uh, the guys they're high on uh, for this 2020 class. Um, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at mswain 97 and you can follow Scott Chasen on Twitter at Chasen Scott. And with that said, we will talk to you probably Tuesday after the basketball game. And if not, we'll definitely talk to you next Saturday after the Iowa State football game.